Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Nathaniel. I'm the missional community guy here at Storehouse Community Church, and we are grateful that y'all have chosen to be here this morning to join us for worship. Before we get into our passage and the sermon, um, I've got a, just a couple of items, a couple of items for you. First, uh, we would love to get to know you more, uh, especially if you're new or first time in a long time joining us. Uh, we'd love to take you for coffee or, or, or whatever, you know, a meal. And so best way to do that is to fill out a Connect card uh, in the rows, and there's Connect cards in the back at the Connect desk. Uh, just fill out any inf information, or if you have any questions, you can put those on a Connect card, throw it in there, and we will definitely get back to you within the next 24 hours. But we would love to connect with you that way. We also have Bibles in the rows and Bibles in the back, and so if you don't have a Bible or someone you know needs a Bible, uh, please just take it. That is our gift to you. And uh, let's see, third, we also have, if you have not noticed, tables in the back. We would like to remind everyone that those tables are fam for families with young children. Uh, we right now only have kids twice a month, and uh, so we want the children, families with children, to have a you know, place where they can you know, sit and do activities. We have discipleship guides that our wonderful kids director, LC, puts out every single time we don't have kids upstairs so that they can follow along or call her or do whatever they need to. And so those tables are reserved for families with young kids, okay? Uh, with that also, I would like to encourage us as a church, a storehouse, to embrace the fact that we have kids in our services. We are totally fine that kids are here with us. And there's a part of that where kids are just not the quietest people, and that's okay. That's right. We, we love having kids here. And so if you're, you know, sitting up here in the front and you don't have kids and you hear a bunch of noise behind you, uh, take that moment to disciple the families in our church and be fine with it because it is a beautiful thing to hear the laughter and the voices of children. And so we want to uh, encourage all of us as a family to be able to encourage one another and not uh, ever make anyone feel like this place is unwelcome just because their kid might be having a fit, okay? And so let's, uh, let's encourage each other in that today and moving forward for sure. Uh, and I guess with that too, today is Father's Day. And so happy Father's Day to all the dads in here. Let's do a hand. Fathers, you guys play a very vital role in the family. You guys are the ones that are discipling your kids, your wife. You're discipling your family and taking charge of that leadership. Fathers, we are very grateful for who you are and what you are doing for the children in this church. Thank you for the, the role model that you are for everyone else here. So thank you, fathers, for everything that you do. Uh, we also have gifts for you. They're going to be over here. You'll see them as soon as those things are moved at the end of service. So please grab some gift bags on your way out, dads. Okay, those are all of our announcements. So let's go ahead and get into our text. <clears throat> This summer, we've been diving into Psalm 27. We've called it Reset. Because what we want to do is we want to take kind of all the dense theology and, and all of the uh, stuff that we've talked about at the beginning of this year and be able to spend the summer processing it. Figuring out, okay, how does this all kind of apply to me, to my life? What's this mean for my relationship with God? How do I take everything we've talked about over the, the course of this year so far 
and actually see true change and transformation and fruit come out of it. And so we want to just reset, reset emotionally, mentally, prepare ourselves for the coming semester that will come in the fall. And last week, Pastor Marco talked about how we need to dwell in the Lord. And when we dwell in the Lord, when we have relationship with him, that there is delight that comes out of that. Delight that, practically speaking, when, when we have this delight, uh, it means we have peace and, and, and tranquility, that we have a life full of love and joy and, and happiness because we are delighting in God. And our love continues to grow daily. Thanksgiving, the ability to be grateful, is a fundamental part of reaching that place of delight that Marco talked about last week. And in this passage that we're going to cover today, in just verse 6 of Psalm 27, we're going to see that David has a heart full of gratitude, full of thanksgiving, and it's going to result in a few things. He's thankful for who God is and what God has done in the past, and so it leads him to a place where he is extremely grateful for what God is going to do in the future. The actions of God that he has already experienced leads him to thankfulness and confidence in what's going to happen. Now, a simple way that we can think about this and look at this and kind of uh, put it into our own terms is by looking at uh, really any long-term relationship that you've had. And so I'm going to use my wife as an example, okay? I use her as examples a lot, and she loves it. So we have been married for eight years, and over that time, over these eight years, my love for her continues to grow constantly. There's more and more love. I delight in her more and more. And a big part of that, a big part of my love growing for her is because I know that I can trust her. I know that she is faithful, committed, she has shown me in the past that she will be there in those moments when I'm weak, when I'm broken, when I'm depressed, when I just don't know what to do moving forward. I know that she'll be there in the future because she has been in the past. I know that she will choose to continue to love me no matter how much I fail. That's who my wife is. That's what she has done for me. And because of that, I am <laughs> so grateful for her. So thankful for the relationship that we have. And that thanksgiving, that gratefulness, leads me to love her even more. When we have a relationship with God, when we know him and we understand who he is and what he has done for us, it will lead us to just overwhelming thanksgiving, which in turn will invoke love within us. And we will love God more and more and more and more. His activity, past, present, and future, becomes a thing uh, that we can be confident in. Because we've seen evidence of it. Because we are grateful, we're able to see the truth of his actions. And we're able to know that God is good. 
that he is a good God that is worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship, that he is completely gracious and completely generous, and that he is not and will not leave or forsake us ever. We can be confident that God is great and good, and thanksgiving comes out of that assurance. And we can know this because we know who he is and we know his intentions. And we can know this because it's a matter of public record. It is written here in Scripture. It is in text outside of Scripture even that Jesus was a man. And the beautiful thing is that we can know for a fact that Jesus was more than a man. We can know that he is good because God sees separation between us and him. And so he comes into human history as a man, Jesus Christ. He pays the price for all the sin and the evil, the bad things that we do, those things that are keeping us from having a relationship with him, those things that are going to lead us to condemnation and damnation in hell, which hell is not the way that it's perceived or portrayed in the media. It is a place that is simply without the manifested presence of God. And God loves us so much that he doesn't want to have separation. He doesn't want us to be apart from him in any way. And so, through Jesus Christ, he pays the price for our sins so that we may have relationship. That good news speaks to his goodness. And it gives us something to be thankful for. And so, our thanksgiving is born out of confidence in God's goodness. That's what I want you to take away today. I want you to remember this, that thanksgiving is born out of confidence in God's goodness. And the resulting life of that is going to be one full of love and joy and peace, kindness, all the fruits of a relationship with God. So let's pray for our time real quick, and then we're going to get into kind of the nitty-gritty of how do we know God is actually good then? I mean, I gave you the gospel here, but why... Why should you believe that? Why, why would you believe these things? Why is God good? And so we're going to get into that, but let's pray first. Father, I thank you so much for today, for this opportunity to be here together. Lord, I thank you for your holy word, what we can go to to receive clarity. Holy Spirit, I ask that you do something amazing in this time where we dive into your word, where we're, we're trying to understand and know you better. Holy Spirit, allow us to be able to listen. Open our ears and our hearts and our minds so that we may understand. Holy Spirit, I submit myself to you so that the words that I speak are going to be from you and not from me. Lord, thank you for who you are. Let us worship you this morning together as a church for that, for who you are. In your name, amen. So when we talk about having Thanksgiving because of God's goodness, I mean, naturally there's going to be the question of how do we know that God is good? Because we may not feel that way right now. I mean, if you're not a Christian, that's probably pretty normal. You, You don't know how can God be good. I may not even believe in that. 
Or the very common argument in the world is that God must be cruel because of all the suffering, natural disasters, all these things. So uh, God can't be good. Nicole and I are watching uh, the show House right now. And uh, if you've ever seen it, the main character, House, he, Dr. House, he, uh, he's an atheist and he gets very upset constantly whenever anyone has faith that comes you know into the show and he always tries to rail against it his main argument is basically that god is just cruel if there is a god and so why would you even bother that's that's basically everything that he feels about it because and so um that's a common belief i mean i've talked to many people and it's not just in that show that is what people believe that because of suffering and, and bad things that happen to us if God was really real, he must not care about us. It's a common viewpoint. Even if we're Christians, though, we have these moments and these times where we go through trials and tribulations and, and, and challenges, and our life just seems to be falling apart, and we ask ourselves, does God actually care? Is God really good if this is just snowballing in my own life? So how do we have confidence that God is good? Well, it starts with a knowledge of God and his work, of who God is and what he does. David speaks in this passage, in this verse, verse 6, he speaks of overcoming his enemies, of a great outcome for his present circumstance because he's surrounded, he is in danger, and he is worshiping God because he knows that he's going to defeat his enemies. He's going to have a victory. So, do we assume that we are also going to have a victory, a great outcome in all of our trials and tribulations if we worship God? Ideas have come out of this thought that are very prevalent within the church. Uh, ideas like if you just have enough faith, if you just do you know, enough fasting or, or whatever, that if you have enough faith that you know, God will answer those prayers and good things will happen to you. That's something that people believe. There's also the idea that if you just name it and claim it, then in the power of Jesus' name, that you will get what you ask for. These are very prevalent, and we see these all throughout the various denominations and, and sects of the church. So is this true? Well, you're ruining it for me. The answer is no. <laughs> she already has it. It's not true, right? But then, I mean, this leads into other questions. What about disasters and tragedies, human, you know, suffering, things as terrible as the Holocaust? How can these things happen if God is good? Are those God's will? Is it God's will for all this suffering to happen? How can those actions be the actions of a good God? That's what we have to wrestle with. It's what everyone has to wrestle with. How can we know that God is actually good? The question here kind of can change into a different question if we're actually looking at it biblically. The question really becomes then, what should our expectations be of God's actions? Because expectations, they matter. They color the way that we view the world they, the way we perceive things. So what are our expectations and how do those align with Scripture? That's what we have to look at to be able to answer the question, is God actually good? 
Now, real quick example of how expectations actually really do matter, okay, that you'll all be able to resonate with. So if I have the expectation that my wife will do my laundry every single week and she does not do it, I will be upset, right? If I don't have the expectation that she will ever do my laundry and then she does my laundry, I will be overjoyed. It's the exact same thing, but my view on it has completely changed because of what my expectations are. That's a very simple example, but it gives us the importance of what our expectations are and how that's going to have us view God. And so the real question, all these questions, what's the real question? What is a healthy biblical expectation for God's activity? What is a healthy biblical expectation for God's activity? What should we really expect? And so we're going to Ephesians 1, 5 through 10 to find our answer. Okay, so starting in verse 5 of Ephesians. In love, he, God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And so listen to 10 here as a plan for the fullness of time. God's plan, his will, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So a healthy biblical expectation for God's activity is centered around our salvation. That should be our only expectation. A biblical expectation expectation for God's activity is the salvation of his people. That's it. That is our expectation. Anything more than that is speaking things into scripture that's just simply not there. And so when we look at the world and God's activity in it, we must view it through the lens of his salvific purpose. Now, there's a couple of necessary aspects of salvation that I want to cover. Things that have to be there for the salvation that he offers us. And so it gives us more clarity, more insight into, okay, his his purpose is salvation for his people. So practically, what's, what's the result of that? What's that actually look like? So I got two things. One, a necessary aspect of salvation is adoption. You can go to Romans 8 and and read about this in your own time. Go to Romans 8, check it out. This is a cross-reference for you. But we are adopted. See, God loves and cares for us so much that he entered into the world to save us. And then he adopts us into his family, makes us heirs with Christ, saying that we have not only uh, salvation from our sins so that we can have a relationship, but we will have eternal relationship in heaven with him that we will actually have an eternity of great action and 
presence and relationship and everything that comes with that, with God. He adopts us, meaning he cares, he loves for us, and he does good things for us. Now, he's not going to do good things necessarily all the time, and that's where we get into some really dangerous things like the name it and claim it, where you just say, okay, God loves me and he cares for me, he's adopted me, and so he must give me these things because he loves and cares and has adopted me. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense, especially, I mean, on Father's Day, let's think about it, dads. Do you give your kids everything they want? No, that would be stupid. Don't do that. In our wisdom, as earthly fathers, we withhold things from our kids, and sometimes we just say no, and that's okay. It doesn't mean we love them less, right? In fact, in many circumstances, especially if it's something where we're saying, no, you can't just run and play in the street, we're protecting them, right? So there is an aspect of saying no does not mean we don't love our children. God may say no. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. But he does care for you. He does take care of you. Matthew 6, 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? We may not get everything we want, Sometimes we may even feel like we don't get anything we want. But God does care for us, and he loves us. And remember, we're going through the lens of his salvific purpose. And so even if we go through life and really get nothing at all, I mean, let's think of Job, right? He's got this period of life, and he even doesn't go through life not getting anything. He has times of great bounty, but he has a period of his life where nothing goes right. It's absolutely terrible even if that was his entire life from the moment of birth to the moment of death, God has still offered salvation to us. And so there is still goodness in that grace. And so you you may not have everything you want. Bad things may happen to you. But God loves you so much that he made a way that you can have a relationship with him for eternity. And that alone is just taking care of you quite a bit. Number two, necessary parts of our salvation versus adoption, number two is sanctification. So my cross-reference for you to go back to and check out is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Study that. But we can expect God, because of our salvation, to change us to make us better, that we don't stay the same person that we were, that when we enter into relationship with God and we are saved by him, that we will see transformation in our lives. We can expect that. And we can know that it will happen. We can expect that he will continuously guide us to a place where we're more like him, where we can be better, where we can be the best we can be, that we can love better than we ever could love before. And if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, look back on your life. I know for a fact that myself, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, I I am not the same man that I was when I entered into relationship with Jesus. 
I'm a completely different person. I'm a better person. Now, am I perfect right now? Well, I mean, that's debatable, but no, I'm just kidding. I'm not. <laughs> I have a lot of things, okay? I have a lot of things that I'm still dealing with, but I'm not that guy. And I am so happy that I'm not that guy. And I can know that in 10 years, because I'm not that guy, I know in 10 years I won't be this guy. And I'm very happy for that too. We can expect that God will change us and grow us and sanctify us. And that leads us to thanksgiving, to gratefulness. So sum it all up, bad things are going to happen. You may not get that promotion. You may not get that raise, that recognition that you think you deserve, and maybe you do. You may not reconcile with that family member. You may not recover from an injury or that illness that you've been struggling with for years may not be healed. But we do know that God has saved us, that he offers salvation to you from an eternity of condemnation. He forgives us of the evil that we do, the ways that we rebel and fight against him. And he changes us into the best version of ourselves over the course of our life because he's walking alongside us constantly. He loves and he shows grace toward us. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you have everything you want or that life is just peachy. but it does mean that you know you're not alone in it and you never will be. That God is in your corner. That eternity is his concern and his ultimate gift to you. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul understands that no matter what's, going, what's happening in our life, what we're going through, and Paul's one to speak on this. I mean, Paul, his life was pretty terrible if you really look at just what happened to him. Just beatings, shipwrecks, betrayal by friends. And yet Paul is able to say, I know that eternity, that God has offered me salvation is so much greater than any of that. And it leads him to a place of worship and thanksgiving and love for God. Understanding that God's desire and that his will, his purpose is geared toward our, toward our salvation. See, that points to a good God. Any argument against God's goodness is because that person's expectations, your expectations, might be completely different than reality. Your expectations might be saying that you think God should just stamp out all evil, all suffering, that God should just take whatever sin you're struggling with and just throw it out the window in, a, in just a second so you never have to think about it again. These expectations are not what Scripture teaches us. But according to Scripture, we can expect that God will act according to his salvific purpose. That he offers salvation from an eternity of separation from him. 
And that is going to be the ultimate expression of his goodness, his grace, and his love. And any other blessings beyond that, man, that's just icing on the cake. And so practically, if you want to have a better understanding of this, better understanding of his salvific purpose, then I'm going to encourage you in four ways. Read scripture. Right? He gave us this so that we can know what his purpose is and what to expect. So that we can correct any error in our own thinking. So read scripture. You've got to know what the Bible says. Number two, interact with God. That's prayer. Talk with him about it. I can't tell you the number of times that I have just wrestled with God in prayer saying, God, I see this in scripture and honestly, I don't really want to accept it. That's okay. Pray that prayer. Wrestle with God about this. And then submit it to him. But you've got to talk to him about it. You're never going to reach a place of full understanding of who he is and what he's done if you don't actually wrestle with God about it. So interact with him. Pray with him regularly. Number three, evaluate testimonies. Whether it's your own testimony or the testimony of a brother or sister in Christ, ask them about their life. See what God has done in the lives of his people. And that will lead you to a place of understanding just how much grace he actually pours upon us. And kind of coupled with that, but number four, live in community. To be able to have testimonies, to be able to understand what God has done, you've got to be with each other. You can't just go home and and be by yourself playing Xbox all day long and expect to understand the fullness of the joy that is in community with Jesus Christ. God is relational and he has made us relational. We have to be in relationship. Those are four simple things. And they're kind of four things that we tell you pretty much every week. If you're not doing them, you should probably start. (laughs) There's a reason why Marco and I say the same things over and over. (laughs) Knowledge of who God is and what he has done it's going to lead us to an attitude of thanksgiving, to gratefulness. And David, he talks about this. In verse 26 of Psalm 27, he talks about this. I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to look at the results of thanksgiving in David's life and what we should now expect as a result of us living in thanksgiving. And so starting in verse 6, I'm going to read it again. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David gives us the results of a thankful heart. These results will happen in your life as well. If you truly have thanksgiving, for what God has done. If you truly are grateful and adopt an attitude of gratefulness. And so we've got three things. A heart of thanksgiving results in, one, a changed perception. David says, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. 
He is able to look at the coming conflict in a new way because he has confidence in who God is and what he has done and what he will do. He's able to look at this conflict and have joy, assurance, confidence, peace about it. Scripture teaches us that we should be thankful here and other places to live a life of gratitude. When we are thankful, we view the world with more optimism. I mean, that's just a very simple truth. If you live thankful for just your life in general, then when those things come up that are a little negative and aren't great, your perception of them isn't going to be as bad. Because you're living in just this attitude of thanksgiving and, and positivity and optimism, right? There's a reason why Scripture teaches us to do things, and it's because God wants the best for us. He wants the best for us, and so he encourages us to be able to live healthy and live a life that leads us to be more like him. And God is joy. God is happiness. God is all these things, and he wants us to take part in it. And science, it, it reinforces this. We can see very practical examples of how this truth that we see in Scripture is true in our own you know, biology, in our psychology. In psychology today, there was this article a few years back about multiple studies that they did over many years. And it was talking about if somebody just wrote down a list of 10 things they're thankful for every single day, they just made that list every single day. Over the long term, they had be better and deeper relationships, better physical health. They actually worked out more without even being told. They had better mental health. Their nature became more peaceful, less quarrelsome. They slept better. They had a better self-esteem. And they were able to overcome trauma and stress was reduced in their life overall. Man, all those things are good things. And they all come from just being grateful. And this is from a study that has nothing to do with God. This is just the way God has made and wired our brains. Being grateful just makes life better. And God wants your life to be better. And when we really understand what God has done for us, that he has saved us and given us an eternity of joy and relationship with him, man, that should lead us so that we can be thankful every single day, no matter what's happening. Because that is so much greater than anything else. And so when we are thankful, when we are grateful, we have a new perspective. We're able to remember that there are some things, like Paul said in Romans 8, 18, that eternal glory is so much greater than my present circumstances. And everything, the way we view life, the way we view the world has changed completely. Number two, a personal transformation will occur. David says, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Now there's something really amazing about this because he is having transformation that requires action. Joyful action, in this case, Action has to happen for transformation to happen. David is led to action because of his grateful heart. He's going to sacrifice and he's going to shout in joy 
the Lord has delivered him in the past, and so he knows that the Lord is going to deliver him again. And so he joyfully shouts and worships and makes sacrifices to God, even though the battle hasn't even happened yet. And see, this is where we can get into a really cool translation in this, in this passage. Shouts of joy is actually a combination of two meanings in the original language. One is a war cry, like you're about to go to battle and you are, you know, shouting, you know, think like Braveheart or something, right? That's a war cry. It's that and it's a shout of joyful exuberance. It's both of them. And in this passage, it actually applies both meanings to this passage. And so he is saying, I am going to be making these sacrifices, and I am going to be entering into this, you know, warlike readiness with joy, with a heart that is full of gladness, because he knows who God is and what he's done. And so he is joyfully ready for whatever happens the next day. How can you not want that? How can you not want to be able to enter into every single day knowing that no matter what happens today, I am joyfully ready to meet it head on? There are some days that we just do not want to have anything to do with it. Yesterday, for me, was a very trying emotional day. We, we had visitation in Laredo with biological family for the children that we are hoping to adopt. Those times are very difficult. I entered into the day not very happy. I entered into the day frustrated, angry, and I spent the day frustrated and angry, and I just couldn't come out of it. And Nicole was wonderfully gracious, but also encouragingly rebuking me throughout the day. And it was a great thing, and I didn't like it. I was not joyfully prepared for yesterday, even though I knew it was coming. And it's no mistake that the day before, I kind of intentionally ignored all of my daily disciplines that I do to worship God because I wanted to be angry on Saturday. true relationship with God, when we are really grateful and we are able to express that to him and, and be honest about that stuff, then he will give us a joyful readiness to tackle whatever's happening. I had even already written this sermon and I knew it was true, which is why I decided to ignore God all day on Friday. Take a little bit of encouragement from my own sin and don't do that. <laughs> My Saturday could have been great. I could have gone, you know, on a drive for six hours or so, you know, there and back, with my family, playing games, having fun. I could have spent a few hours in Laredo, granted not much to do, but in Laredo with my wife, just having lunch, walking around, enjoying her presence. I didn't do that because I chose to ignore this truth that if I was just thankful for God and what he's done in my life, I could have been a better man and I would have been a better father, I would have been a better husband, instead I failed. 
my prayer is that next time I can do better. That next time I will be joyfully ready for whatever it is. My prayer for you is that next time you are joyfully ready. Whatever's going to happen. And it will. You all know it. Your life could be great right now, but we don't know what tomorrow brings. You could be going through that s- the same thing right now, where today your mind is filled with whatever's happening. Let's make a change together where we move forward in joyful readiness, shouting in joy for what God has done for us. And when we're able to do that, our lives begin to change. Personal transformation happens. Old struggles and sins begin to lose their hold over us. You want to know how to be a better person? You want to know how to stop sinning that same thing that you've been doing over and over and over? Be grateful. Be grateful for the salvation that God has offered you freely. For a lot of us, it's simply just opening our eyes so that we can see the grace right in front of us. Because we choose to ignore it. We don't want it. We'd rather be miserable than have joy. And there's something messed up about that. Number three, a result of a thankful heart is persistent worship. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. That's what David says. And David is a man that knows how to worship. We see him throughout Scripture as a man that messes up, but he knows how to worship. And he does it well. And it's because he has such confidence and assurance in who God is and what he's done. Like I said in the first point, we see the world with a new perspective, with optimism, positivity. When, like in the second point, we're transformed by a thankful heart. Sin, it loses its hold over us. And we're able to see that transformation taking place. That leads us to even more worship. See, this persistent worship is something that is both going to happen because of the things we're thankful for, and it's going to happen because of our thankfulness itself. And when we are persistently worshiping, when it does not stop, then that means we are continuously reminding ourselves of what we are thankful for. When you are truly thankful for God, for Jesus Christ, and his relationship with you, or if you don't have a relationship, his offer of a relationship with you, when you are thankful for that, you cannot help but worship. And if you find yourself struggling to worship, you just can't seem to get there. You're not able to be in this place on Sunday mornings and worship alongside the church. If you find yourself throughout the week not able to enter into times of personal worship with God, You just can't bring yourself to study scripture, to pray, to be able to just be grateful for him, to be able to talk with him. 
then you may not love God like you think you do. And if this is really not happening ever, you may not love God at all. And it's because you don't understand who he is. You don't understand what he's done for you and the immense amount of love that he has lavished upon you. So Christian or not Christian, whether, whether you're a believer or not, listen to me right now. God loves you. He loves you so much that he entered into human history as Jesus Christ and died on the cross for you so that you can have a relationship with him that does not end with death. There is eternity with him. There is something wonderful about it that we experience in this life and forever. And he wants that for you. If you believe that's true, then you can be thankful. And it begins with simply just saying thank you. I mean, you really want that one practical piece to walk away from today with? Say thank you to God. Say thank you to each other, to your family, to your loved ones. But say thank you to God for what he has done in you. Nicole and I have been teaching our children to pray, you know, since, since they've entered into our home. That's a value for us. We want to teach them how to pray. And we teach them how to pray in one simple way. You say thank you. So when I put my daughter to bed and she prays before she goes to sleep, her prayer is thank you, God, for today. Thank you, God, for dinner. Thank you for the yummy food I had. Thank you that we got to go to school. I got to go to a friend's house. Thank you that I get to sleep tonight. Thank you for tomorrow. That is my daughter's prayers because that's what we've taught her to do. Because if she ever walks away from that family discipleship with anything, I want it to be a thankful heart. Because that is going to lead her to love God more than anything else I can teach. Even yesterday, Mike, my, my middle son, he, he just randomly said, Thank you, Jesus. And I said, for what? Because he loves me. He doesn't fully understand what that actually means, but he knows it's something that Nicole and I are thankful for. He knows it's something important to us. Some of you have forgotten that. Some of you simply can't just say, Jesus, thank you. You might have to go back to that simple prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for today. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. And you will soon find that your heart changes, softens. You will soon find yourself with more joy and love in all things that you do. Your life and your attitude will change. Your love for God will deepen. And you will find that his grace is more abundant than you've ever realized. Let's pray. Father, I want to say thank you.
you are a good God. You are a God that loves us. You are a God that loves me so much that you wanted to heal me, to restore me, to bring me into relationship with you, even though I'm, I know I'm not worth it, and yet you still see value in me. You created us in your image. You inherently put value upon us that we deny constantly, and yet, Lord, we can know that you never forget it because you have shown it by offering us salvation, a way out of our own mistakes and our own sin, out of the life that we make for ourselves, you say, I will restore you. Father, I ask right now that you help all of us, every person in this room, every person listening, to remember who you are. To remember what you have done for us. Jesus Christ, we are thankful for you. You are beautiful, amazing. Holy Spirit, lead us into a time of worship now where we can reflect on what it means to actually be grateful for you. Let it lead us to a place where we, like David, just have worship overflowing out of us. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen.